WCBN. It's been a great three years. I've made friends that uh, hopefully I have for the rest of my life, guys. So uh, for the last time, Tony Bolton saying good night, Ann Arbor, and go blue. Let's get it started. Let's get it started in here. Let's get it started. Let's get it started Let's get it started. Let's get it started. The only six seconds left, and then Chad Kowarik will be released. Six seconds of power play time remaining. Henson was thrown out of the uh, face-off circle because Desk went over to shout instructions to Kalorn. Thank you for listening to WCBN-FM Ann Arbor. If you'd like to contact the sports department, please email us at sports at wcbn.org or call the station at 734-763-3500. Pass comes forward. Here's Hensick. Now to Kaloric. He's behind the defense. He's in. Shot and score. Chad Kaloric out of the penalty box gives the Wolverines a 4-0 lead. Well, uh, good evening and welcome to another edition of Gray Matters, the weekly news and media talk show. My name is Dick Whaley. And I'm arriving just in time to say my name is Jim Dwyer. And boy, is it hot down here. I think we're back to the heating and cooling problem of WCBN where computers are in control. Pumping out the heat. Actually, I asked about that this weekend, <laughs> and uh, regardless of what the temperature is, the studio across the hall that we'll be returning to soon uh, is all up and running with air, but this one is not. Yes. So, and of course, there's a lot of equipment in a small space over here. We'll just have to make do. Well, anyway, I saw the. Uh, Documentary Taxi to the Dark Side last week. Wow. I just wanted to uh, praise how great it was. Uh, it was essentially a true story of uh, a taxi driver in uh, Afghanistan who uh, essentially was beaten to death in U.S. custody. And it went into the metamorphosis, or the genesis, I should say, of uh, the torture policy of the United States government. Dubiously uh, referred to as extraordinary rendition. Yeah, and of course these euphemistic names that the Bush administration comes up with is uh, never ceases to amaze. I mean, just this, uh, you know, this groundbreaking story, and of course it's no surprise, but the groundbreaking story um, in Sunday's New York Times about TV analysts and the Pentagon's hidden hand behind their involvement. Uh, these characters, by the way, are called message force multipliers, which means the uh, media stooges for the uh, yeah the, the Bush administration the, brought uh, them brought them out uh, en masse to infiltrate the TV networks to uh, basically back up the administration's war policies, both in Iraq and Afghanistan, and the so-called global war on terror, as uh, reinforcements to the message, and that it's really about the message. And of course, the article that we can talk about shortly by David Barstow goes into the financial connections between these so-called analysts and uh, financial contracts uh, that they're connected to 
in the Pentagon. Not terribly surprising. But anyway, getting back to Taxi from the Dark Side, once again, just a couple of things to, I, I think, reinforce the, uh, the notion that um, the war on terror has been a disaster for so many reasons. This uh, documentary confirms a couple of the following things once again. First of all, a detainee named Sheikh Al-Libi was taken to Egypt for, a, quote, extraordinary rendition, which involved essentially a two-month torture session. He made claims that uh, there were connections between bin Laden and Saddam Hussein that then were used by Colin Powell and other top administration officials to justify the war in Iraq. This is absolutely incredible. Uh, secondly, they show the sanitizing of uh, Guantanamo Bay, or Gitmo as it's known, uh, when the detainees who were, quote, taken off the battlefield and have been called, quote, unlawful combatants by the Bush administration, originally arrived in uh, Cuba, they were in a, in a camp called Camp X-Ray that had the most crude and rudimentary facilities. There was no running water. Uh, and detainees were kept in cages. <laughs> and uh, one can only say that they were treated like animals and certainly stripped of any dignity whatsoever in violation of international law. Thirdly, it's finally emerged that 93% of the detainees are not terrorists. Uh, in fact, as the um, story of Taxi to the Dark Side goes into, uh, it specifically talks about this taxi driver named Dilawar. Many of the detainees are actually turned over by Afghan warlords for cash, money with no regard whatsoever if there's any connection to these people and terror. Need some cash, round up some guy yeah. named Omar and yep. turn him in. Yeah, and if he's got a name like Barack Obama or <laughs> or Hillary Clinton, <laughs> he's probably in big trouble. But um, leaving the humor aside, the United States to date, as of this movie, has not at attained in a court of law, a single conviction for terrorism involving any of the detainees. Donald Rumsfeld and George Bush and Condi Rice and particularly Dick Cheney have assured the American people over and over that these are the, quote, worst of the worst. Um, needless to say, there are no hearings for any of these detainees in the global war on terror. The entire thing is an unbelievable sham. And as David Barstow's uh, article in Sunday's New York Times, which I highly recommend reading because uh, the New York Times went to great uh, legal expense in obtaining uh, 8,000 pages of emails regarding the connections between these uh, so-called message more, uh, force multipliers that appear on television to reinforce the American 
the, the administration's perspective on the uh, so-called global war on terror. Uh, it's, it, it's a very interesting article, and I'm sure that uh, the website has even more details. And I'm trying to find the exact date, but the first... Um, a, a group of these gentlemen <coughs> were actually taken to Guantanamo by Tricky Dick Cheney. And uh, great efforts were made, as the documentary Taxi to the Dark Side showed, that uh, Gitmo was, was cleaned up. And, of course, uh, they went on television and denounced Amnesty International for raising issues connected with this uh, shameful facility. And, uh, yeah, here it is. It says some of the analysts were on the mission to Cuba on June 24th of 2005. I'm quoting from David Barstow here. The first of six such Guantanamo trips, which was designed to mobilize analysts against the, the growing perception of Guantanamo as an international symbol of inhumane treatment. On the flight to Cuba for much of the day at Guantanamo and on the flight home that night, Pentagon officials briefed the 10 or so analysts on their key messages, how much, they'd, uh, how much had been spent improving the facility, uh, the abuse endured by guards, the extensive rights afforded detainees. The results came quickly. The analysts went on TV and radio, decrying Amnesty International's uh, involvement, criticizing calls to close the facility, and asserting that all detainees were being treated humanely. Quote, the impressions you're getting from the media and from various pronouncements made by people who have not been here, in my opinion, are totally false, Donald W. Shepard, a retired Air Force general, reported live on CNN by phone from Guantanamo that same afternoon. The next morning, Montgomery Meggs, a retired Army general and NBC an analyst, appeared on the Today Show, quote, there's been over $100 million of new construction. The place is being professionally run. Like we're supposed to be impressed with the fact that $100 million have been wasted on this essentially illegal detainment center. This is reminiscent of the scene in Stalag 17 where the U.N. inspection guy comes in and the German commandant says, you'll see the men are well uh, accommodated here. Everyone has a new blanket. And the U.N. guy says, these blankets smell like mothballs. Were they administered this afternoon? You know. What's going to happen to these uh, millions of dollars worth of facilities uh, when these analysts go back home to their cushy jobs? Uh, well, Making money on the global war on terror. Right. Uh, maybe they'll be transferred to uh, Taco Bells and uh, Dairy Queens like we've seen in the Green Zone. Yeah. It's, it's uh, remarkable stuff. Not shocking, not surprising, but uh, certainly worthy of exposure and recognition that this is what's going on and that the uh, war on terror as perpetrated by the Bush administration is one of the greatest hoaxes uh, in American history. This, of course, this sort of uh, sanitizing of the facilities is uh, its the infamous Potemkin village. Yeah. Catherine the Great, Joseph Stalin, uh, this is what the communists did in uh, the Soviet Union. And needless to say, the United States of America shamefully has 
degenerated uh, into the realm of 1984. Well, and uh, it can't be repeated enough, uh, the infamous words of Alberto Speedy Gonzalez, that the Geneva Conventions had been rendered quaint. <clears throat> yeah, and John Yu, the so-called Office of Legal Counsel, in which a troika of Alberto Gonzalez working for the White House, David Addington working for the Office of Vice President, Dick Cheney, uh, who probably should be now characterized as Vice President of Torture, or man in charge of torture, and John Yu uh, working for the Department of Justice uh, for a brief period of time in which he asserted all sorts of brand new uh, constitutional prerogatives that the president and the executive branch have in, quote, a time of war. <laughs> They're the ones that... Uh, Yes, uh, it's true that Al-Qaeda has declared war on the United States uh, through a video. <laughs> uh, but it's the United States that's uh, in Afghanistan and Iraq uh, actually conducting real war. Major scale operations, indeed. Well... Pakistan's been relatively quiet of late since the elections, but uh, some interesting developments, some of which uh, touch on this global war on terror. Um, last week, the ruling coalition parties uh, renewed their pledge to restore the judges that have been fired by uh, General Musharraf. I mean, excuse me, President Musharraf. He took off the uniform and uh, donned a suit, although he might well have uh, performed his duties nude for a day to display his uh, competence as a servant of the uh, American War on Terror. Um, of course, chief among these jurists was uh, Mr. Chowdhury, who really had it in for Musharraf. Mm -hmm. And uh, if these judges are restored, uh, there's a very strong likelihood that there will continue to be legal attempts to unseat Musharraf and uh, perhaps even investigate into uh, electoral wrongdoings and other miscellaneous shenanigans. Uh, and then we have a, a renewal of the uh, Pakistan government's, uh, newly elected government's will to continue to uh, fight al-Qaeda in the uh, border regions there, the very nebulous zones where Afghanistan and Pakistan... Uh, brush up against each other, so to speak. Um, a new, a re recently uh, named ambassador, uh, who happens to be a U.S. university professor, Hassan Haqqani, has been designated the new uh, ambassador to the United States, has said, our military strategy remains intact and will be augmented by a political and socioeconomic strategy. There has been no talk so far of diminishing the military presence among Pakistan's border regions. Well... That is an area of great concern, to be sure. But more interesting is a comment from uh, the Pakistan Muslim League uh, Nawaz leader, uh, Nawaz Sharif, who has said through a spokesman that the war on terror needs to have a more humane face. You can't have people disappearing, and we carry on as usual. 
And, of course, he's talking uh, exactly uh, about those extraordinary renditions, people just disappearing, uh, accused of crimes, uh, and they're never heard from again. This article by uh, Farhan Bakari in the uh, Financial Times of this weekend's edition uh, concludes with a paragraph stating that the Human Rights Commission of Pakistan claims that hundreds of Pakistanis have disappeared since Islamabad joined the U.S.-led war on terror. Now, are they actual terror suspects, or are they perhaps opponents of the Musharraf government? It's impossible to tell, since there are no hearings, and it's all uh, secret abductions and interrogations. So, Yeah, and indeed, uh, as the Taxi to the Dark Side movie went into, most of the detainees in Guantanamo are actually Pakistanis. Um, some rounded up in Pakistan, and... Some rounded up in Afghanistan. Let's see if anything comes of these uh, developments. Uh, undoubtedly, and I just want to give out a brain damage award to the Bush administration uh, for just sort of cavalierly denouncing Jimmy Carter's efforts um, to broker peace. Uh, Jimmy Carter, you know, I don't know all the details of the Hamas uh, talks that uh, took place uh, recently. But Jimmy Carter has indicated that a breakthrough, a, a quote breakthrough, is is uh, is there. And what does the Bush administration do? It immediately denounces Carter, says there's no breakthrough, dismisses everything that's occurred, and of course refuses to talk to uh, Hamas directly or include them in any negotiations whatsoever. And once again, goes out of its way to denounced Syria in the process. Uh, this is par for the course and, of course, explains the pathetic tenure of Condoleezza Rice as Secretary of State. Well, a breakthrough's always been possible with Hamas. There's this insistence in, uh, and, you know, language is a barrier here, Yeah, that uh, opponents of Hamas uh, and, you know, supporters of uh, Likud are going to say that Hamas won't recognize Israel, and even worse, they want to destroy the Jewish state. Uh, what is at stake here is the concept of the Jewish state, the exclusivity of that. What Hamas would like and what others in the region would like is a binational state, uh, not an exclusive Jewish state. And so that's really the core issue there, and that's been negotiable, uh, but it just is not recognized as such by the Bush administration and so it's a non-starter. Yeah, well, you could hear from the preliminary reports that the uh, usual uh, negotiating points of Hamas were made, uh, right of return, um, return to the 67 borders. Release of prisoners. And, of course, a thorny issue regarding Jerusalem, uh, which to me remains definitely uh, a difficult issue. But to just dismiss it out of hand and just pay attention in the next couple of days to hear how many times Jimmy Carter is going to be denounced as anti-Semitic, yeah. an enemy of Israel, uh, or you name it, um, or well, dismissed. I mean, right. just dismissed for nothingness. He hasn't accomplished anything when... Well, clearly there's some movement there, and it would be an area of... Uh, <laughs> Bush's legacy. Well, there have been elements uh, within the uh, 
Israeli government who have been sort of secretly engaged in negotiations or setting up the initial phases of negotiations with Hamas. So there has been some movement even within Israel itself on that. I mean, you can't not negotiate or talk with people. I mean, you, that, and that's been the Bush administration's policy all along is we're not going to talk to them. Well, okay, then nothing will happen. Right. You've got to talk. And let's remember that even the Taliban offered bin Laden up uh, before the Afghanistan war started. But Bush's position was, quote, we don't negotiate with terrorists. And uh, we now know from the history books that he had pretty much decided to go to war uh, in Afghanistan less than one week after 9-11, pretty much ruling out all other policy options. Offering up, as as Karl Rove observed, a great opportunity. Yes, an opportunity, an opportunity that continues to, well, just cost staggering quantities of money. I mean, just, uh, for instance, uh, in the May, March 31st edition of The Nation magazine, uh, they have a little graph uh, showing the cost of the war uh, in Iraq to date at 522 billion dollars and as we've noted down here before uh, the uh, Iraq war has already exceeded this doesn't even include Afghanistan by the way has already exceeded the cost of the Vietnam war uh, in dollars right now this doesn't even include all the future expenditures Uh, John McCain seems to be uh, almost given a free pass on virtually every moronic thing he says and as I noted on last week's show he continues to be called a maverick when in fact he now has one of the most conservative voting records in the United States Senate but uh, this uh, this money is is, is staggering Um, incidentally what what it does in this particular chart is it shows the cost to Cleveland, Ohio. Hmm. And puts the figure for the citizens of Cleveland at $479 million, nearly $500 billion, or $500 million, i.e. a half billion dollars. And it shows what can be done uh, with that money uh, for the people of Cleveland. Just to highlight some of these interesting numbers. Um, 25,000 children uh, can be given health care at a cost of $43.6 million. Nearly 50,000 people can be equipped with homes with renewable electricity. About 7,000 placed in um, Head Start programs. 6,000 university Scholarships, 1,000 public safety officers, 900 port containers. These numbers, by the way, are broken down at a cost of $43 million, $43.6 million for the equivalent, 740 elementary school teachers, and 406 affordable housing units. This is the trade-off, and when we hear pundits claim that the war in Iraq isn't costing us that much money, 
I don't know what planet they're living on. It's staggering how much it's cost, and it's not over. There is no light at the end of the tunnel, to borrow an expression from Vietnam, from the war in Indochina. There's only darkness at the end of the tunnel. It's as though the intent were to ruin uh, the economy, because as you, I mean, look at the economy, and then look as particularly here in Michigan, as we're all aware. Spending is down because people are losing jobs. Costs are going up. Uh, we appear very much to be a nation in decline uh, and uh, descending at a rapid rate. And when it comes to things like schools, health care, these are all basics that everybody uh, should be entitled to. And uh, we're losing the opportunity to offer uh, decent lives to our own people. Yeah. Shameful. It's shameful. And, of course, the reason that the Nation magazine highlighted this uh, data um, recently is because of the Ohio primary. And, uh, of course, Cleveland is one of the the cities hardest hit by the mortgage crisis and the decline Mm -hmm. in manufacturing. Uh, Very interesting analysis, by the way, of... uh, the uh, decline in the American working uh, wages here in America that, of course, start out. What, what's interesting about this article is it says that uh, workers making $20 per hour, about 41600 annually, is now considered the minimum necessary to put a family of four into the middle class. As I reported last week, the average wage in America right now is is below that $20. That's average wage, by the way. This Mm -hmm. isn't median. And not to be confused, because uh, per capita statistics are frequently used by the cheerleaders of more tax cuts for the rich. I mean, this is almost like Oliver Twist in reverse. Oliver Twist uh, wanted more. Please, sir, can I have some more? (laughs) He wanted more porridge, or gruel was gruel. Prob- <laughs> probably a more... Ag- it wasn't porridge. It had no uh, slop. <laughs> Brown sugar and cinnamon on it. <laughs> we don't even want to speculate what it, what it really was, but it was gruel, and he wanted more, and he couldn't get any. But it's almost like the rich want more. They don't have enough. It's remarkable. And John McCain, of course, wants to accommodate them. But it's interesting in, the, in this article by Louis uh, Ucicelli, um talking about the middle class. And he, he's got a picture of the steel workers in Braddock, Pennsylvania, waiting uh, Barack Obama last week. And talking about $20 an hour has a special place in labor history. And, of course... Uh, goes into the fact that it was in the 40s and 50s when America made this big leap of expanding the middle class uh, due to the powerful manufacturing sector uh, in the United States that's in decline. And, of course, Michigan, Pennsylvania, Ohio are, are in similar boats in this regard. Um, and, of course, it was the assembly workers, the, the manufacturing. The steel was made in Pennsylvania, and the 
car parts were made in Ohio, and of course the auto workers made the vehicles here in the United States. And yes, there were lots of problems with the auto industry as it was constructed, but this allowed um, the middle class in many ways to be created, uh, that and the GI Bill. And of course, this has all been dis dismantled by the disastrous policies of the past 40 years, starting with uh, yours and my favorite, Tricky Dick. It's that Southern strategy, baby. We got to rile up the, the workers in America to make them hate the hippies. Those Silent majority. The pot-smoking anti-war protesters. Of course, needless to say, the steel workers and the auto workers probably weren't going to be drafted to go to Vietnam. So this class division, this schism, was, was an artificial creation, uh, which has worked quite successfully and continues to work. We, we hear much more about the Reverend Wright, who, uh, for the record, Dick Cheney served in Vietnam. Actually, it might have been Korea. He's actually a decorated veteran. No uh, draft deferments for him. I believe he did serve in Vietnam, Dick Cheney. But we hear much more about the Reverend Wright than we do about this ghastly torture policy that is the official policy of the American government. We're above the law. Waterboarding's not torture. We have... It's a new theme park ride at Disney. Opted out. Yeah. Well, yeah, some of the spokesmen actually claimed that the move from Afghanistan to Cuba for the detainees would be good for their health because they would be uh, enjoying that fine Caribbean, Caribbean uh, breeze. Climate, so balmy. Uh, probably without the food. My asthma cleared right up. Yeah. It's remarkable. But it's interesting. In the article, he writes, The high point came in the 1970s just as the United States was beginning to lose its controlling grip of economies of the non-communist world. Since then, the percentage of people earning at least $20 an hour has eroded in every sector of the economy, falling last year to 18% of all hourly workers, from 23% in uh, 1979. The decline was greatest in manufacturing, where only 1.9 million hourly workers still earn that much. That is down 60% since the Bureau of Labor Statistics, uh, since 1979. So once again, we see what the Reagan Revolution... Are you better off now than you were four years ago? Well, actually, we were better off four years ago. Um, but the media didn't want to look at the data. They didn't want to look at the facts. They liked the Hollywood show. They liked Reagan's macho mantra. He looked good on a horse. <laughs> he was the great communicator. Yeah. And uh, it's amazing. Lucicelli uh, writes another interesting paragraph. He says, The trend in, hour in the hourly workforce is striking. Take only the peak years in each business cycle starting in 1979. 
The proportion earning at least $20 an hour declined from 23% that year to 20% in 1980 to 18% in 1989 and to 16% in 2000. Manufacturing was hit the hardest. Proving once again that the, the morning in America 